Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, before we get to the message, I did want to share uh, one prayer request that came to us this week from the Zambia Brethren in Christ Church. Uh, Charles Insemini, you may remember him. He preached here back in 2015, right before a Mennonite World Conference. He um, is scheduled to become the next bishop of the uh, Zambian Brethren in Christ Church. His consecration was scheduled for today there, um, but earlier this week, um, his wife unexpectedly passed away. Um, she was bathing their two-and-a-half-year-old toddler and uh, collapsed and never regained consciousness. They think that she had probably an aneurysm that ruptured or something. Um, this is a family. The children are two-and-a-half years old to 10th grade, I think, is the oldest. Um, and uh, so please pray for the Insemini family and for the Zambian church. Um, they're, they're hurting today, and um, uh, he will be stepping in as bishop in the coming days. We're not sure at what point um, that will take place, but keep them in prayer. Uh, today marks the first Sunday um, during Lent. Lent is the six-week period in the church calendar when Christians around the world uh, focus their attention on the sacrifice of Christ in preparation for the celebration of his suffering during Holy Week and his resurrection on Easter. During Lent, uh, many focus on Jesus' 40 days in the wilderness where he fasted and prayed and was tempted by the devil and powerfully rebuked the devil with words of scripture. Just as Jesus fasted in the wilderness, uh, many Christians practice the spiritual discipline of fasting in some way during the Lenten season. I grew up just a few miles north of Boston. The area where I lived was predominantly Catholic, and the Catholic Church has practiced the Lenten fast in various ways through the centuries. What I remember from my childhood is that my Catholic friends could not eat meat on Fridays through Lent, um, though the friends I asked could not articulate why that was so. I just remember that our school lunches on Fridays were usually fish sticks. The Baptist church um, I grew up in didn't emphasize any kind of fasting for Lent. Instead, we added food. As we had a Lenten supper together each Wednesday evening during those six weeks with various speakers who helped us to focus our attention on Christ. Giving up something for Lent wasn't really part of my experience until just a few years ago when my son Ryan told me that he and Morgan, his girlfriend, were giving up eating sweets and fried food for Lent. And they didn't just mean anything deep fried, even pan fried counted for them, which really limited the kinds of food that um, you could cook over those weeks. Ryan asked me then what I was giving up. I thought for a moment about it, knowing I didn't have to give up something but the example of my son was compelling. Learning doesn't just flow one direction. Though he's learned a lot of spiritual lessons and nurture from me, I also could learn and benefit from his spiritual life. 
So I decided to join him in his Lenten venture, and I tried to think about something that I might definitely miss if I were to give it up, as I, I didn't want to glibly answer him with something that would be easy. This is going to sound silly to you, but at the time, I definitely had an addiction to caffeinated sodas, which I'm guessing is a little less than the addiction to coffee, um, but, but powerful nonetheless. I'm, I'm not trying to step on any toes, believe me. No, I'm not. You'll know when I am. So I told Tim that I was giving up drinking soda. And that began my experience of giving up something for Lent. I wanted my um, giving up something not just to be a response to my son, but I wanted it to help draw me closer to Christ. So I determined that any time I wanted a soda, I not only would not give in to the desire, leaning on the strength that Christ gives, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But at that moment of self-denial, I would also think about my love for Jesus and his love for me, and I would pray. It was truly a wonderful six weeks of growing, of experiencing his love, of loving him more. I thought about him a lot. I wanted a lot of sodas. <laughs> and I prayed a lot. The next year, when Ryan again asked me what I was giving up, I stretched a little further and said, sweets and soda, which I've been doing for several years now. And I must say, it's particularly challenging on nights like tonight when the assortment of desserts at our mosaic meal is a sight to behold. Now I find that I look forward to the start of Lent, to practicing the discipline of fasting from something I enjoy, to the growth that I experience through this very small dose of self-denial, and to intentionally thinking even more often throughout the day of Jesus and of praying. Well, I was reading through Ephesians recently, and I was struck um, in a new way by the connection of several verses there to my own Lenten experience. So this message is, is different today, but um, I'm going to focus on several verses from Ephesians. Ephesians 1.17, Ephesians 3.8, and Ephesians 3.14 to 19. <clears throat> in Ephesians 1, uh, Josh, you can put up 117, thanks. In Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, in that passage, Paul shares many prayer requests that he has for those to whom the letter was sent. And he begins the sharing with these words. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better so that you may know him better. Isn't it marvelous to consider that you and I can know him better and better and better and better? The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah wrote, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, 
But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord, that they have the understanding to know me. Jesus in John 17, 3 says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If anyone ever asks you what's eternal life, Jesus gave us the definition, knowing the true God and Jesus Christ, who he sent. No matter how many years we've been walking with the Lord, no matter how close we think we may be to him, we can know him even better. In April, I realized last night, in this April, I will celebrate the 40th anniversary of committing my life to following and serving Jesus. I'm, I'm so excited about that. I'm excited about the fact that 40 years later, I can know him better. 40 years later, there's still things that I need to learn and understand and know about the Lord. The word Lent is an old English word that literally means spring. In old German, it comes from the root that means long, referring to the lengthening of the days. So in the spring, there's the lengthening of the days. December 21st was the winter solstice, the shortest day and the longest night of the year. Here in our region of the Earth's northern hemisphere, we had somewhere around nine and a half hours of daylight. Then on December 22nd, the next day, the amount of daylight increased by a number of seconds. I'm sure you noticed it. As the, day begin to, as the days begin to lengthen, the increase of the amount of light per day grows from around four seconds per day to around four minutes per day until June, when we reach the summer solstice and the peak of the number of hours of daylight, about 15 of them here in our area. We may not notice the added seconds or even minutes of daylight from one day to the next because they happen so subtly, but we definitely notice their cumulative effect. In similar ways, this has been my Lenten experience in recent years, and not just mine. This has been the experience of many. In reducing from my life just a couple of things that I like or sometimes crave, and adding in their place, intentionally focusing my heart more on Christ, I've grown in my relationship with him. I couldn't pinpoint a specific time of growth that on this particular day or at this particular moment I grew, but there's been a cumulative effect of six weeks of turning my heart more regularly throughout the day toward Jesus. Those moments of turning to Jesus, of, of reaffirming my love for him, of experiencing anew his love for me, and of praying were like adding seconds or minutes of light to my life. Just like we're happy to have more daylight in our earthly lives, we also should want to have more and more of the light of Christ. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul said, the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better.
Well, in this letter to the church in Ephesus, and it may have been just to the church in Ephesus, and it may have been to all the churches in the region of Ephesus, but whichever it was, to them, Paul emphasizes his calling by God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. This was a mind-blowing truth that the Gentiles and the Jews together formed the church, the body of Christ. Paul wants his readers to understand that this was God's plan from the very beginning, that Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians alike, Gentiles and Jews together are the church. And then in chapter 3, verse 8, Josh, you can put that verse up. He writes these inspiring words. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Some translations use the phrase the unfathomable riches of Christ, while others use boundless riches of Christ. I also like the message which says, and so here I am preaching and writing about things that are way over my head, the inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. Well, as I said, I I grew up in Massachusetts on the north shore of Boston. And 40 years ago this month, in February 1978, we had the worst snowstorm on record for that region. And maybe it would help to say there was already a foot of snow on the ground before that snowstorm hit. Weather forecasting equipment was not as advanced as it is today, so the severity of the storm wasn't obvious until much later than would be the case today. So the things that happened then likely wouldn't happen um, 40 years later. I was in Massachusetts just a couple weekends ago while my mother was hospitalized. And can I just, as an aside, say thank you so much for praying for my mother. I talked to her last night, and she's doing really, really well. So I praise God for that. But I was um, visiting with her in the hospital, and my mother loves to read the newspaper. And um, I was thankful that I was there and that she was reading the newspaper because she showed me there's this um, big section in the newspaper, uh, the Boston Globe, on the the storm of of 1978. It says, 40 years haven't thawed the memories. And it had all sorts of pictures and um, had a great article about it. At that time, sea walls broke and the ocean washed away homes um, and caused devastation all along the coast. Um, I have a picture of um, the first picture. This was um, one of the highways, Route 128. Um, Cars on the highway were in snow too deep for driving. People were driving and they kept trying to go and then it got too deep and so they parked their cars and stayed in them till they could be rescued. The highways looked more like parking lots. Drifting drifting snow caused even greater havoc. Some people were barricaded by snow in their own homes. Um, uh, There are pictures of of snow up to the roof line of of houses. And I'm not exaggerating. That's what's really wild. So I have a picture of someone digging out their driveway. Can you see how deep that snow was? I'm really not exaggerating. So in the city where I lived, Malden, the National Guard eventually came in to clear the roads and to make them passable again. In normal winter snows there, 
excess snow that was being cleared like that would have been hauled to the ocean and dumped there. But because the ocean had already overflowed and washed away homes, that wasn't a possibility. So in my city, the National Guard put all of the snow that they were clearing on the, on the grounds of our high school. All the snow in the city at the high school. And we didn't have school for the entire month of February while they waited for the ocean to subside so that then they could take the snow and dump it in the ocean. If you're at all familiar, this story really has a point, by the way. If you're at all familiar with the subway system of Boston, fondly known as the T, the last stop of one end of the orange line is called Oak Grove. I lived in the Oak Grove section of Malden. The subway stop was literally just down the street from where we lived. On our street, most of the houses were two, three, and four family homes and didn't have driveways. So everyone parked on the street. So whenever snow emergencies were declared, people on our street moved their cars to the parking spaces of the Oak Grove train station down the street from our house, which allowed the street to be plowed and cars to be protected. So sometime after the storm ended, maybe a couple days later, my sisters and I made our way the couple blocks down the street to dig out my mother's car. Our street came downhill toward the train station and when we got in view of the area where our car was parked, the sight was unbelievable. All you could see was a sea of white snow. No sign of any cars, just white snow. The snow was so deep that even the typical humps that parked cars covered with snow make were non-existent. It took two full days of my two sisters and I, three of us, to first find and then dig out my mother's car. The task seemed impossible. The snow seemed endless, like we would be digging forever. The snow we experienced in the days following the blizzard of 78 helps me to picture this word used by Paul to describe the riches of Christ. Unfathomable, unsearchable, boundless, inexhaustible. We thought we'd never get to the end of the snow. In the same way, and even more so, you and I and all believers will never get to the end of Christ's riches. Through the first few chapters of Ephesians, Paul talks about some of these riches, redemption, forgiveness, grace, love, adoption, holiness, inheritance, the Holy Spirit, hope, power, peace, access to God. If Christ's riches are inexhaustible, we could go on forever naming them and talking about them and experiencing them. So I'd like to ask for your help for just a minute. Not going on forever, by the way. Would you stand and loudly declare one of the riches of Christ that you experienced in your life? Just one word or two, and just do it like popcorn. Just stand up and loudly declare one of the riches of Christ that you've experienced? Healing. Healing. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. What? 
employment, grace, grace. Protection. protection, forgiveness, forgiveness. Companionship. companionship, love, love. hope, hope. hope. mercy, peace. wisdom, peace, joy. Can't keep up with you. Just keep going. Transformation, peace, family, stability, salvation, mercy, renewal, health, justice, forgiveness. Thank you. You see how inexhaustible they are. Well, just because something's unfathomable, Inexhaustible, that doesn't mean that we don't try to plumb the depths, does it? According to Noah, and I don't mean Noah, the builder of the ark, but Noah, the um, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, <laughs> according to Noah, <laughs> I, I don't know how to say this, that's how it's said, Noah, um, we have only explored approximately 5% of the world's oceans. Think about that for a minute. 95% of the world's oceans are still unsearched. The oceans are unfathomable, yet people keep searching and exploring. The same should be true of the riches of Christ. As we spend time during these weeks of Lent, I'd encourage you to intentionally carve out time to explore for yourself the depths of the riches that we have in Christ. And I have three suggestions for you for doing so. First, ask God to reveal to you or to make real to you riches in Christ that you've not yet experienced. Ask God to give you riches that you haven't yet experienced. Secondly, start your own list of riches. Like actually write out a list with a pen and a paper or your phone or whatever, and, and add to it throughout these next weeks as they come to mind. And three, keep in mind what Paul wrote in his letter to Philemon, verse six. He said, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a good understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Did you hear what he said? As we share our faith, then we have a good understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. So share about Christ and his riches with another person. Doing so will help in your own understanding of the riches that we have access to as children of God. Well, speaking of access, um, in Ephesians 3.12, and Josh, I don't have this one for you to project, but um, just a a few verses down from 3.8, um, Paul cites the access that we have to God, that we can approach God with freedom and confidence. When I was a child, sometime before my parents divorced, so I was probably around nine years old, almost 10, my younger sister and I were down in our basement playing at the workbench, hammering nails into wood. I don't really remember what we were doing or even if we were allowed to be doing it. But above the workbench was a rafter filled with scraps of wood. 
This would belong to the older couple who owned the house. They lived on the first floor, and our family rented the second floor apartment. As my sister and I were exploring what was there, I found something with an unusual shape. And as I pulled this piece of wood out from within the stack, I couldn't believe what we had found. I was excited beyond description. This wasn't just a scrap of wood. It was someone's old hockey stick. I was a huge hockey fan at the time. The Boston Bruins were in their glory days with Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito and Jerry Cheevers and Johnny McKenzie. I proudly will tell you I was an official card-carrying member of the Johnny McKenzie fan club. <laughs> I loved hockey, but I had never owned a hockey stick. So this was quite a find. But maybe we weren't supposed to be in the woodpile. So my father did shift work, so he slept some during the day. Well, we needed to ask him if we could keep the hockey stick to use it to play hockey, not for woodworking, but could we wake him up to ask him such a thing? Terror filled my heart. So I convinced my younger sister, who was a couple years younger than me, that she was really brave and that she should wake him and ask him. As much as I wanted that stick, I felt no freedom, no confidence in approaching my father. My father said yes, by the way, and that was the first of many hockey sticks. The treasure that Paul was talking about, freedom and confidence in approaching God, was the complete opposite of how I felt with my earthly father. So after Paul declares that we can approach God with freedom and confidence, he bursts into prayer. In Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, one of my favorite prayers of the Bible, he once again mentions the glorious riches of God. Let's, let's, um, let's read that passage. I can't read it from the wall, so I'm going to... My wording might be a tiny bit different because the NIV there is a little newer than mine. But for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. He mentions the glorious riches of God, and he, he prays for these number of things for the, for the Ephesians and the churches there. He, he prays for us as well today. This prayer carries through the ages, that God would strengthen us with power from his spirit in our inner beings that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, that we would be rooted and established in love, that we would have power with all believers, Jew and Gentile alike, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and that we would know this love, and in knowing this love, that we'd be filled to the brim. Filled to the brim, 
and overflowing with the fullness of God. Isn't that a prayer? Amy, Amy Carmichael, who served most of her life in India, rescuing girls from the forced prostitution of the Hindu temples and teaching them of Christ, wrote a beautiful poem about this love that Paul prayed for. It's entitled, Love's Eternal Wonder. Josh, you can put the first stanza up. So I think that poetry is hard to listen to without seeing the words also. It's called Love's Eternal Wonder. Lord beloved, I would ponder breadth and length and depth and height of thy love's eternal wonder, all embracing, infinite. Never, never have I brought thee gold and frankincense and myrrh in the hands that groping sought thee, precious treasures never were. What was that to thee, the measure of thy love was Calvary? Stooping low, love found a treasure in the least of things that be. Oh, the passion of thy loving, oh, the flame of thy desire. Melt my heart with thy great loving, set me all aglow, afire. As we celebrate the Lord's love through communion this morning, and as we journey through these weeks of Lent, let's turn our thoughts and our hearts more regularly toward Christ. Let's seek to know him better. Let's pursue the riches of Christ. Let's ask God to help us grasp the width and length and height and depth of his love. And may this poem be our prayer. Melt my heart with thy great loving. Set me all aglow of fire. Amen means may it be so. May it be so in our lives, in our church. Amen. As we prepare to take the communion, I wanted to add one more picture in the, from the hymn, Oh, the Deep, Deep Love of Jesus. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love leading homeward, leading, leaning onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above? Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, love of every love the best. Tis an ocean full of blessing, tis a haven giving rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, tis a heaven of heavens to me, and it lifts me up to glory for it lifts me up to thee. As I was listening to Pastor Linda this morning, one of the things that I almost automatically, and I think every human, every follower, almost automatically always falls back on, is works righteousness. We hear about the vast, boundless, limitless love of God and then we turn right around and limit it, limit it 
because we start keeping self-score. We start going, now how much did I pray? And how much did I read the Bible? And how, how were my daily devotions? And what did I do wrong? And suddenly we're back to works righteousness. We are limiting this ocean because we are coming on our merit instead of the merits of the one who wants to bless us. This morning, I invite you to die to yourself. And the main way you will die to yourself this morning is to die to the very thought that you're going to be blessed because of something you did today or something you did yesterday or, or, you're, or the, God is not going to bless you because of something you did or didn't do. God wants to pour his limitless love all over you and all you have to do is receive it from the one who wants to give it. Will you get out of the way today? Will you just take what he wants to give? You go, but I don't deserve it. Of course you don't deserve it. None of us deserve it. That's not the basis of receiving it. Receive what the Lord wants to give you in communion today. Amen? Today we're going to partake of communion in the seat.